Hey guys, thank you so much for listening or watching our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would like to invite you to support us by leaving us a review. Let us know how you have been encouraged by each one of the stories that you have listened here. Also leaving us your feedback. You can also help by following us on social media on Instagram and Facebook or by liking or commenting on our post and also by sharing with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to subscribe on our podcast and YouTube channel. Another way that you can also help us is financially by visiting our Patreon page by going on the link here on the description. So my mom decided that this is going to happen and I was so devastated. Not that I thought it was disobedience to the Lord, but I'm thinking, oh, by doing this, I'm going to obey my mom. Although I don't want to get married, although I don't like to see this person, not even to see him, but because my mom said so, I have to obey my mom. And I was engaged and they were always motivating me. Oh, it was, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So the marriage happened. The first night of the marriage was disaster because um, he was, uh, my husband was drunk. So the second night, I'm opening my Bible and whatever verse you just said, unequally yoked, I'm opening the, my Bible and there it is. I was so afraid and scared of God's word. I said, what have I done? This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. We're just so grateful also for everyone who joins us and just gives us some of their time and just that we can be able to get to know them better. And I hope that this can be a blessing to you, just like it has been for Richard and I. So before I start, I actually would like to read a couple of passages. I would like to start off with um, two verses from Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 22 to 23. But now having been freed from sin, enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is what you guys are hearing on every Tuesday, every Tuesday that you go on the podcast and you're listening from whichever platform or maybe YouTube, that's where you're listening to on this podcast. And again, thank you so much to all of you who have been listening, who have been following us on social media, who have subscribed to our YouTube channel. A big shout out to the BART Network. Uh, we're so grateful to be part of this community of Christians uh, who are doing the same thing that we're doing. They have wonderful podcasts. Uh, this month, we're actually uh, sh giving a shout out to the Women's Hope podcast and the Solacast podcast. I've been listening to their, to their podcast, and I've been very encouraged uh, through what they're bringing through their podcast. So I would highly suggest that you will go in just following them. So thank you again to Dwayne, who is the uh, CEO of the BART Network, for bringing us on the BART Network. So thank you so much. And I always say that I, ha that I have a very special guest, but today... This guest is really special to me. I also, I call her mama. So <laughs> uh, we, uh, I don't know. I, I even started a joke with her daughters. Her daughter is a very dear friend of mine. And it's because of our friendship that I was able to meet her mom. And I always <laughs> would start a joke where I will say, I am the real daughter. And I think your daughter was the adopted one. <laughs> I can do that because Silva is just so kind. She, mm -hmm. she wouldn't mind. I think, I hope not. She's here. <laughs> 
So I'm very thankful because Silva shares, you know, her mom with many of us. Richard also started calling her mom, mama, like me. But her name is Anna. So thank you so much for joining me and just for agreeing to come to the podcast and just share your testimony with all of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Arlie and Richard. I would like to thank God, my father, for giving me this opportunity. And to you that you invited me this special day to come and to be part of this wonderful ministry. It is my honor to have you on my podcast. I think we've talked to you so many times, you know, like we, I love just going to your home and just the way that you serve us and uh, just to see your hospitality. And that's the way that you express the love that you have for your Savior and the way that you serve all of us. And uh, we admire you so much. And, uh, and we're so grateful for the work that the Lord has done in your own life. And I know this will be an encouragement to everyone who hears this. So thank you. And I pray for that. I normally ask my guests uh, to go all the way from to their childhood to just share a little bit about their life growing up, what was life like growing up for you, where do you come from, what was family like for you, was it a believing home, and you can take it from there. Yeah, because I've lived many, many years on this earth, that will be a long story. <laughs> That's okay, we have, we have quite a bit of time, so okay. you can go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I love to share my testimony because it glorifies my Savior and Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole purpose of today. Mm-hmm. I was born in a family where, in Armenia, first of all, Yerevan, that, that was the capital city, is still the capital city of Armenia, in a home where I was the sixth child. And my mom was a, a very good believer, very true um, servant of Christ. Uh, however, my dad was um, not unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And... He was also an abuser of alcohol. So uh, while growing up, I was exposed to God's word, my mom's uh, living example, role model for me as a true believer Mm -hmm. with her prayerful life and Bible reading um, days and hours and minutes. And um, also I was exposed to the other side of the reality, which was violence. Mm -hmm. And that was a big part of the life too. And however, um, the other side of the reality was that that city and that country was a socialist country where there was no um, religion accepted Mm -hmm. besides atheism. Mm-hmm. And that's what they would teach in schools. That's what they would propaganda. That's what they would force people to believe in. And although Armenians uh, consider themselves historically to be the first Christian nation mm-hmm. uh, in the world that was forgotten for 70 years under Soviet uh, Union's dominance Mm -hmm. and uh, because they accepted the communistic ideology and denied their God and Christ, of course. I'm not saying that the whole nation was Christian or supposed to be Christian, but what I'm saying, the, the Christians who were Christians were true Christians because there was constant persecution, there was constant um, 
um, you know, uh, monitoring that the children don't go to church. Uh, the church was considered, you know, um, very ancient thing. People would be considered ignorant, not knowing what's uh, best for them, you know, mm-hmm. and constant, constant things like that. I'm not talking about the, the, the imprisonment. I'm not talking about the arrests of the preachers. Mm-hmm. Some of them tried to hide, would, you know, uh, go from city to city to, you know, uh, stay out of this persecution. Mm-hmm. So that was the um, reality when I was born mm-hmm. in Armenia. And it was not that bad uh, as um, the times of Stalin or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the persecution. But again, we would feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in my home environment where, um, as I, like I said, my dad would, you know, do violent things to my mom, mm-hmm. not only because she was a Christian, but also because he had problems, you know, mm-hmm. and he would see my mom's life and not repent. And he knew the truth because my mom would read the Bible to him and to all of her children. Mm-hmm. And she would take all her six children to the church from very young ages, you know, uh, four times, five times a week, being so, you know, faithful uh, as a member, as a choir member, you know, she mm-hmm. would um, serve as a choir member without having any education because God gave her that gift. And she also was a good praying mom because she asked God to give her the gift of prayer too. Mm-hmm. So, and she would uh, share her testimony with us constantly, talking to me particularly because I was the youngest one. I was home with her for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the others were already, already grown ups, married mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So she would share her faith with me constantly. So growing up in that environment, I, my mother's faith uh, impacted me profoundly. And it's not that I inherited that, but that played a big role mm-hmm. because from the very young age, she already instilled that in me. And there was no other reality for me that besides the fact that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, I could not imagine other ways, you know. And I would share my faith wherever I was, in my neighborhood, playing with my um, best friend <laughs> or going to, you know, first, second, third grade and talking to my friends at school. And uh, in Soviet countries, the school was from first to 10th grade, and that was like the high school included. Mm, so there was okay. no other school to go to. Yeah. So we were all situated in one building. Mm-hmm. And that was the good thing because you could talk to anybody in there. And my sister would attend the same school and um, she was a very good believer too and of course uh, when Soviet government would order for us to go to school on Sundays because they would switch a holiday that was they would fall on Saturday you know they would switch for us not to go to school on Saturday and go to school on Sunday of course we would not go to school but they Mm -hmm. would just you know they knew what was going on and they would kind of give us consequences be very unhappy upset admonish us in front of all the children, mm-hmm. make us stand in the classroom, uh, tell tell them why we, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we would go to church, how shame that we go to church, how shame that we prayed, you know, pray. So this kind of persecution, persecution was accompanying us throughout, you know, mm-hmm. and because we were not communists, we knew that the university was not for us. 
<laughs> so we were very, very uh, profoundly involved in the uh, church, in the Armenian uh, Evangelical Baptist Baptist Church. It was only one church, so mm-hmm. the, um, the the title of the church was Evangelical Baptist Church. Okay. So there was one church that every true believer would go there, you know, mm-hmm. and there were not too many members, probably 200, mm-hmm. but they would, uh, you know, worship the Lord truthfully, although the uh, theology was not Calvinistic, it was Armenian, mm-hmm. but the true faith was instilled in me, and I... Like I said, I never doubted that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, of course. Mm-hmm. And and I would consider going to church my privilege, honor. I would love to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike to my sister who would uh, forcefully go to church, okay? <laughs> she would not want to. Oh, and bring excuses. I loved church. From very young age, three, four years of age, I remember sitting next to my mom and listening to the sermon without making a noise because that's what the instruction was. I had to obey and follow the instructions. And I would listen and that would make sense in me. And God blessed that. Of course, it was from Him already, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that willingness and everything good comes from Him, like James says, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was nothing good in me. I I was born a sinner, like the Bible says, but it was his providence, his grace, his mercy that he instilled in me that, and he gave me that willingness to go and to to sit next to my mom and listen to Bible stories, to preach preachings while the other children would play in the children's area. Yeah, and when I was seven and eight years old, the others would see my faith and would consider me like a very mature Christian. Mm-hmm. So I would get this, you know, uh, the testimony from the other people who would kind of um, approach to me with respect as to a mature member of the church. I wasn't a member, of course, but they would trust me with things like to recite a poem, to be the leader, to be to be the, you know, uh, soloist, to sing. And then uh, my sister and I, we would play the violin. And the purpose, my mom uh, puts a put us in the music school for um, to play for God and for, I mean, uh, in the church. Mm-hmm. That was the main purpose. Yeah. And we would serve the Lord by playing the violin, singing in the choir, and participating in all the activities of the church mm-hmm. and witnessing outside of the church, mm-hmm. living the life and witnessing. And I remember how, I, uh, how seriously I would take God's word and uh, the testimony and the witnessing for him because I, I would uh, constantly remember the verse where Jesus said, um, if you deny me in front of men, I would deny you in front of my father and the angels. So that was a big, you know, verse for me, very serious uh, verse for me. If I don't do this, you know, then the Lord Jesus will not, will deny me in front of So that would motivate me more to talk to. When my history teacher would say, oh, she would teach us about how, um, of course, Darwinism, right? Evolution, this and that. I would um, raise my hand and talk to her and say, you know what? But the Bible says this. Okay, that God created. Of course, they didn't, wouldn't li- would not like that. But my friends would hear and they would come and ask questions mm. at, from that young age. So I knew that something was in me to, uh, I mean, that from God, you know, because I had that boldness not, that not everybody had to speak out for my, you know, 
Lord and to be a witness and to and one of the churches leader even would call um, would tell me that I would be. Uh, he thought he was thinking that I would become a missionary, <laughs> which never happened, of course. But it was a very, very good uh, wish for me. Yeah. Yeah. And at what point in your life? I mean, because a lot of people, though they grow up in a Christian home and all of this is being taught to them at a young age, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that you're, I mean, you're not saved by being raised into, like you said, you're not, I didn't, I didn't inherit this or anything like that. So at what point in, in your life and at what age did the Lord finally reveal the, you know, like the, at what point did you understand the truth? Like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, I am a sinner. I need to repent and I need to turn to Christ. So at what point did that happen for you? We, we knew from the Bible, we were preached very well that we needed a Savior. And whenever we call on Him, He was going to save us from our sins because the sin went through uh, Adam to us. I mean, it came to us through Adam and we all were born with sin. We knew that. I knew that from very young child state. Mm-hmm. So that's what... Probably the other theological things I didn't know, but that much I understood at seven, eight, you know. And when we pray, and there was no day that I would not read the Bible, the only Bible that we had at home. My mom had a very, you know, used Bible that we would share, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was such a precious book for me. (laughs) I would go to the Bible and read and pray and every day. And I loved it so much that I started memorizing the Bible verses, and they were so dear to me. I wanted to know so much because when I would look at the preachers, they would preach and say, you know, the verses by heart, I would have this, you know, strong desire to know that too, you know. Or if I would hear the song written by, uh, you know, uh, uh, by a, a missionary or by a Christian you know, a person, I would say, oh, I would like to write a hymn or whatever, or a poem. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. I wanted that so much. And singing is a big part of my life. And it was from my childhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As like I said, my mom would um, teach me songs to sing like a solo um, at church, at the church in during the events. And I would do very, very naively and believing in Lord Jesus that I was doing for his glory. And everybody would call me an angel, a lamb, this and that, because I was so, I mean, God-given, God-given, um, you know, characteristics. Um, of course, I wasn't that mm-hmm. person, but it was God in me and his grace and his providence and his kindness to me, his mercy to me. When I heard MacArthur saying that he was um, born in a Christian home and he doesn't know when he was saved, I kind of, it resonated with me because I, until that point, I did not know when I got saved because I knew that I was saved. But mm-hmm. when did that happen? I don't have that, you know, specific date, time and of the year. In my church, in my Armenian church, they would say, it was like a tradition. You had to have a date, time, and a year of your repentance. That wasn't my situation. And in order for me to satisfy them, I did that. When Mm -hmm. I was 17 years old, I decided that morning, I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to repeat after the preacher, whatever he says, okay, without even... (laughs) listening to the sermon, because I wanted for everybody to see that I'm doing the same thing that they've been doing. Of course, that's not so. 
I knew already I was. Because when I went there and the preacher was um, Armenian preacher from America, his nickname was John Mark. Mm-hmm. And he John was Mark. such a... Well, <laughs> One of the, you know, big Armenian uh, believers, big famous Armenian believers, because he was persecuted by Stalin, he, uh, Lenin, and everybody. He was in prison, he was arrested, and then he uh, fled to America without seeing his wife and children for many years. And I read his book, and that impacted me so much. So I said, this preacher is the right moment. I'm going to <laughs> go to the altar and repeat the prayer after him. When I did that, every single member of the church, weren't you a Christian by now? I'm like, okay. (laughs) But you wanted me to, kind of you. They didn't say, they didn't tell me directly, but indirectly it was like that. I was like, when they asked me for my testimony, what am I supposed to say, right? I don't have the date. It was kind of very interesting thing. Yeah, But like I said, uh, at seven and eight, uh, these were the years that I understood. Mm -hmm. And I would pray and I would pray at church and sing in the choir. And uh, I mean, there was no such thing as not believing in Christ. There was no such thing as disobeying my mom and dad purposefully, you know, Mm -hmm. or obviously. No. So Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to heaven. There is like a before, after, right? So there is a before. And then and after at Christ, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So how will you how will you describe yourself before salvation, and uh-huh. how will you describe yourself after salvation? Uh-huh. For some people, it's very distinct. With me, it was not because I was very quiet and very um, you know good mm-hmm. kid. Never was in trouble. Mm-hmm. Very good student. Number one in everything. My mom would say something. I would follow directions. You know, I had um, older siblings at home who would love me so much. I, there was no big distinction. Again, I'm telling you, the moment I realized what life is all about, <laughs> I was so sure that I'm going to heaven. There was no doubt in my mind, never, even not one second that I'm going to hell or a fear of that. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So there's no distinction. Whatever, of course, I knew that if I disobeyed or or even thoughts of something bad, that I have to repent. And, you know, the, the evil would attack. There were like trials that I would not share with anybody. I don't, nobody knew what I was would go through because when I would read the Bible verse, the attack would be there. Okay, mm-hmm. then that means you you um, did this, you did that, and I would just. In the beginning, I didn't know how to to um, overcome that. Mm-hmm. I would pray and pray and pray and not be open with everybody because it was my personal thing. Mm-hmm. I would share with my one of my sisters though. We would pray and she um I, I remember one time she had um a prayer thing for me, going for me to help me with my situation. But most of the time I was like very mature in that sense that whatever I would listen uh, hear uh, the sermon, I would write down, come and you know, um Think about that, meditate on that, and try to live up to it, to, to that during the week and share with my uh, unbeliever, not unbeliever, but not repentant um, daughter-in-law. I would share with my brother, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would care for souls from mm-hmm. that age, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, it wasn't that very distinct. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I always loved 
the, the Lord and the Bible and His people, and they we would honor them so much. You don't even know how much we honor. We would honor them. My mom taught us from young age that everything good goes to them. Hospitality, you know, respect, everything. So. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. my experience. And so what happened after your conversion then? Uh, there is another stage in your life that happens, right? That After conversion, everybody would look up to us because we were like, um, all of us, we were good Christians. We would live up to the, you know, Bible's uh, standards, kind of, the, in their eyes. We would constantly be involved in service, uh, in ministry, uh, the center of the church, And all of a sudden, something big happened. My brother died. I was 13 years old when my uh, brother died. He drowned in the lake. That brother of mine, I don't know, my mom took him to to church constantly. He would agree with the Bible truth, sing the songs, hymns, and stuff like that. But he stopped attending church. He started enjoying the world, and then he got married to an unbeliever. But that um, girl was so respect, uh, full of respect towards uh, our Christian values, Christian living, uh, our things. You know, when she came to live with us, she would be very respectful. And we would, I don't know, it's just she was so different. However, my brother would not go to church. And one Sunday, um, he drowned in a lake. And we came back from the church and the bad news came. The bad news came, and we were all sobbing and hysterical. And um, at that moment, after that first reaction, there was silence in our home. And then I was embracing my mom, hugging her. And then all of a sudden, the Lord kind of spoke through me. I don't know, just being 13 year old, 13 years old, 13 year old, and telling my mom, "Mom, like Job, you are to say." The Lord gave him to you, and the Lord took him from you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, yes, yes, my, my dear, yes. And she agreed with me. And can you believe it? For a 13-year-old to say those profound things to her mom, and I was with her constantly throughout the ceremony, and the ceremony was horrible. In my country, there were no other sites to put the corpse. So it was in our table and stuff like that. So I would constantly with my mom, just fearing for her life because I wanted her to be well, to be comforted. And I knew that my presence would comfort her through the Lord. And the Lord did that to my mom to keep her like comforted and knowing that she's so loved and, you know, God is still with her and Mm -hmm. she's in God's hand, you know. And after that, I don't know what happened. My mom started allowing um, the secular people to come to our house. It was the tradition that that's how the arranged marriages were happening. So a couple of people came and my mom allowed them. Although my mom would always tell us, my parents did the bad thing to me. They allowed me. I mean, I was a Christian. I was a a believer. And they had me marry this uh, unbeliever your father. So and and of course my father never repented. So my So your family arranges for you to my marry mom, not your my mom, family but my mom. mom arranged this marriage mm-hmm. uh, because my sister wanted to get marry this uh, secular man and he had a cousin so it was arranged. Mm-hmm. I was so not wanting that to happen without knowing that that's a big disobedience to God. 
I didn't know that part. Marriage was so far away from me. I was very naive, very, you know, childish, maturing at one point, I, in one part of the brain, which is like uh, towards spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Besides that point, I, I was never thought of marriage, uh, what should happen to a Christian, or probably they preached it and it didn't resonate with me or it didn't go through because I was very yeah. naive, you know, not ready to talk about those things because I still was in school. I was 16. 16 years right. old, yeah. 16 years old, started barely a music college, which was like continuation of the, like the middle high school, you know? Mm-hmm. So my mom decided that this is going to happen, and I was so devastated. Not that I thought it was disobedience to the Lord, but I'm thinking, oh, by doing this, I'm going to obey my mom. Although I don't want to get married, although I don't like to see this person, not even to see him, you know, let alone marrying him. <laughs> But because my mom said so, I have to obey my mom. So without knowing that God's word, the truth about this marriage thing, which is the second most important decision that the the human being has to make after repentance. Yeah. That we can be un- unequally right. yoked. That we unequally need to yoked. marry uh, someone who is a believer too. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what happened. And I was engaged when I, when I told you about going to the altar and repeating after, something inside me said, what about your engagement, being, you being engaged to an unbeliever? And I kind of hmm, didn't pay attention to that voice. And we, we've been engaged for a year. Of course, I didn't like it, but because my sister was married to his cousin, they were always motivating me. Oh, it was, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So the marriage happened. The first night of the marriage was disaster because um, he was uh, my husband was drunk and they were trying to keep him calm and I slept in a small room without anybody. So the second night, I'm opening my Bible and whatever verse you just said, unequally yoked, I'm opening the, my Bible and there it is. Second hmm. Corinthians chapter 6. What business does have Christian with the unbeliever, huh? Mm-hmm. Unequally yoked. Satan mm-hmm. with Billy. I was so afraid and scared of God's word. I said, what have I done? Oh, my goodness. What am I supposed to do? I didn't say anything, but I was trembling early. I was trembling. Um, so our But ma- now you're yeah. married. Yeah. And now then I was it, married. I cannot divorce him. I exactly. Because that's the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. That the next question is, okay, so if you're married to, should a woman who is married to a non-believer then now go and divorce? Well, the Bible yeah. can absolutely go against divorce, you know? Absolutely. And this is something that your mom arranged for you. You're 16 years old. You're living with her. So it's like, you know, like, what else can you do? You're, you are to submit to your right. parents, right? And so what was the journey for you like? Um, married to a non-believer, someone who didn't know the Lord, what was life like for you mm-hmm. within that? And how did the Lord help you navigate Thank you that. for asking me that question because I hope this will be help to people who are thinking that they're going to marry somebody who's unbeliever and change them. Mm-hmm. Believe me, nobody can change anybody. Okay? Mm-hmm. Nobody. I've lived with this man for 37 years and nothing has changed. It went 
from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I opened my Bible, there was a fight. When I, uh, the, how many Bibles were uh, torn apart? I, can, I can't even say how many he tore and discarded. He, he did all kinds of violent things because he was another alcohol abuser. And all these fights, I don't know if he had that in mind or it was just a reason for the fights, but this was the ongoing issue in our household. And I, as a believer, I could not divorce him. I knew that, well, how could, how would I? I mean, in my church, they would say, that's it. There's no escape. There's no separation. There's no this, there's no that. But later on, when I was listening to sermons, I was like, why would I? put my children through this abusive situation, you know. They were impacted emotionally. I could have separated at least, you know, and give, and I would have probably gave him, given him some space for him to think over, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that he would threaten to kill me if I left him or I even dared to think about that, which mm-hmm. I would never think. I mean, I would think about it. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to say that I would not think, but never. I knew that I was not going to do it. And yeah. I was the person who would always make peace, Arlie. Mm-hmm. No matter what, I was always the at fault. <laughs> it was always my fault. Uh, there would be no other way uh, that I had to change, that I had to do this, I had to do that. But it, you know what happened, Arlie? During those years, I got very close to my Lord Jesus. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I didn't have any escape. I didn't have anybody to go to. Just Nobody would understand what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although it was our lifestyle, but you know what? We would, I mean... I trained my children to read their Bibles and to pray, and they knew that there's a Savior and Lord in heaven. And I would take them always to the church. They were involved in church services. Probably they didn't understand profoundly what that was, mm-hmm. but at least they would go and they would even serve. My my son would edit the sermons for many years. He would sing in the choir. Silva would play the piano. I would conduct the... That was our only joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to take it back because when you married, when you marry him, your guys are still in Armenia. And then at what point did you guys move to uh, the United States? And what is life like for you guys mm-hmm. then? How do you guys move here right. to, to America? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when we were married, then we had our son there in Armenia. And then all of a sudden, my um, mother-in-law decided that we had to immigrate to America because she came as a tourist. She liked the country. So they decided on my behalf, (laughs) but they were going to get the consent from my mother. My father already was passed away. I remember very clearly how my husband, that was the only time that he humbled himself, came to my mom and asked for her permission. And she was so gracious. She said, of course, but it's It's going to be very hard for me. But, I mean, of course, I bless you. I mean, go. So, and he he promised me this. He said, if if you come with me, then I'm going to stop drinking and Mm. you will never get bitten. Mm. This was his promise. Oh, and because he also used to... Hit you, like abuse you physically also. Yes, yes, that was constant. So that that was his promise. Of course, he he couldn't keep his promise because one day he realized that there's more drinking allowed in America than anybody Hmm. (laughs) else in the world. So um, the drinking got even more excessive. Mm. 
And because we were living separately, uh, the beatings were often, the arguments, fights, he would disappear, gamble, do all kinds of stuff. But of course, there were some highlights in, in there because of God's providence and God's mercy towards my children and me, you know. We would mm-hmm. do things with um, believers. We would go to um, church activities and participate there. Uh, of course, uh, most of the time it would there, there would be a prohi- prohibition. Like when my son would come home with the Bible in his ar- under her arm, he would get mocked and ridiculed by his father. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, shame on you. What is that? You yeah. know. And so when you guys move to America, then you have your your daughter, yeah, Silva. I have my, my friend Silva in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Silva Sorry, is I'm born. Skipping, I'm skipping. <laughs> I'll bring you back to track. <laughs> so then you you guys move to America. Then you have your daughter Silva. In um, what happens then? Like, what is the journey that you guys go through? What is the environment that you guys in? Okay, Silva was born in America mm-hmm. um, and um, she was three months old and all of a sudden one day I hear a knock on my door mm-hmm. and I open the door and I see this um, two two ladies, nice ladies, American ladies standing at my door and showing me an Armenian um, uh, like Bible verse and um, something, spiritual words from the Bible verse and uh, explanation. And I'm like, oh, these are believers. Oh, come in, please. So uh, uh, eventually, it, uh, it, um, then I find out that these are Jehovah's Witnesses, which about whom I've never heard in my life. Wow. This was in 1989. There were no Jehovah's Witnesses in Armenia when I came to America in 88. So this was something new to me. And the interesting part is that I wasn't talk, I, I didn't talk any English because <laughs> I started learning, but I didn't know how to fluently express myself mm-hmm. because I, my education was in French. And in 1988, we came in June and in March, I'm talking about in March, which is not even a year. Mm-hmm. Yet. So Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house and I thought that they were believers. So I embraced them because I was so thirsty to God's word. You don't even know what I would do. I would go and um, uh, walk around churches just because of the, you know, uh, love towards my Lord. And I just wanted to be there. I would cry and pray that someday I would be in church. You so know? at this point, you're not going to in no, churches right now. I don't okay. go. I, I'm not going to church because. Um, when we were married, he uh, he did not allow me to go to church. Wow. Even though there were promises, none of them were kept. That I was going to go, that I was going to do everything, because my mom made some arrangements, right? Yeah. But no, none of the promises were kept. So then when we came here, we, um, we kind of started living uh, all by ourselves. My family and his parents' family were separated. So then the Jehovah's Witnesses came in and they gave me their, their literature. And God, with God's providence, I found a Bible from my neighbor because mine was, okay, discarded by my husband. Mm-hmm. How many of them? I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I found all these verses. And with my very limited English, 
I boldly stated that I don't believe in their things because that's nonsense, that the Bible says these things about the Holy Spirit, about the faith, about my Jesus, who's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Mm-hmm. All of them went and left. So thank God for that. Another like confirmation, another assurance that the Lord is still with me because I don't I, I'm not going to church. I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would I would listen to some sermons without even understanding the words, but those moments were so precious to me, Arlie, from mm-hmm. television, listening to some preachers. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what they were saying, but I would be so happy. Mm-hmm. I, w- I, was, I would consider that I'm at church, worshiping together, you know, and I would just consider myself the most wretched sinner in the world, saved sinner, okay? Mm-hmm. I want to go to... Um that part when you mentioned before that you were married, so you're not married anymore to this man. Um, and I don't know if you will be kindly to, you know, kind to uh, just share a little bit about, because like I mentioned, um, as believers, we don't believe in divorce, right? And once you're in a marriage with a non-believer, so you are to be a witness to this person so that with the hope that they will also come to Christ, So your whole goal is to basically now, you know, live a life that shows that you are following Christ, that shows a life that is different from the world in in hope that this person will surrender their life to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. But I guess that wasn't the case for you. So what happened in what what happened in between you guys that you guys got separated. Okay. Now you broke the marriage. Okay. Like I said, uh, in my mind was, this is it. I'm not going to get out of this relationship because God hates divorce. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even think of separation. So I was like, Lord, if it's in your will to stay and to be a witness for you, I'm doing it. I'm obedient to you. So that's how I would survive. Okay. Of course, that impacted my children, both of them in their ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son got impacted the most. He acted out. He uh, gave me such hard heartaches because of the impact of the whatever happened in the in the home. But the Lord was so merciful, so graceful to us. Again, He had mercy on him. He heard the prayers. He brought him back. He, my Lord, my Father, gave him a family, three beautiful children. Mm-hmm. Before that, their father, um, I don't know, he, the, their father started um, being aggravated by good and kind things that would happen to us. I don't know why, but I would feel that. Whenever he was drunk, he would say those things. Whenever he was not drunk, he would uh, just keep it to himself. But I knew that I couldn't trust him because if I said something that would have that would come out when he was drunk and he would hold that against me. So there was no communication for kind of just regular, hi, come and have your dinner, have your lunch. I would do uh, like wash his clothes. We'll do uh, like these civil things, but he would be in his own world uh, playing his games on the, com- uh, on the thing, gambling on the phone constantly, watching TV, not talking to any of the children. I don't remember a time when he, as a father, called his children around him and was happy to have his children and talk to them Mm -hmm. and uh, give them the sense of belonging or family, you know? I never remember those. Never. Not once. 
And so what happened? So this is what happened. Um, I believe in his mind he was thinking of changing me for many, many years. When he got to the point where he saw that he's not changing me, he started thinking of changing his life, uh, finding new happiness for him probably. That's, and he's never shared that with me. I tried to um, uh, communicate with him that we need therapy we need to, you know, uh, discuss this in counseling at least, to talk to each other, to see how we can, you know, help each other or change our things. He would not listen. He would mock, ridicule, come drunk and make it announcement, like news. Whatever I would tell him in secret, he would come and just say it out, say loud, it out loud in front of my daughter-in-law, in front of my son, in front of my daughter and run after me as he was going to beat me again and stuff like that, very intimidating things. Mm -hmm. And we got to a point where he threatened to kill me again mm -hmm. in front of our family members. I was, Sylvia and I, we went, my daughter and I, we went to the evening service and he was so drunk, he threatened to kill me. And then I heard from my relatives and his cousin that he, it is like a threat to my life, that I had to be take this seriously. So I said, okay. And I started praying about that and be cautious and lock my door all the time for months until, because he already had it, I, I could feel that it was the, I mean, he was at the end of his rope too. And um, he spoke to Selva. He told his, you know, plans to her. I didn't know about that. He had a big fight with my son on the phone. I was just horrifying, terrifying to me. He, had, he did the same thing. So um, that affected my health so badly. I was constantly stressed, couldn't sleep at night, sleepless nights, you know. Of course, I, my physical body was affected, not my emotional, spiritual, but uh, emotional, yes. Not spiritual, but of course, emotional and physical body was uh, impacted. Mm -hmm. My hormones were up and down all the time, you know. It wasn't okay. So finally, he came to a point, probably somebody said, listen, before you kill anybody, just be a serious man and just decide on what you're doing. You can't go on like this, you know. And he, one day I came home and he was gone without even letting us know or giving a chance to talk or anything. So he left. He left. He left and then he called me and he said that he's going to divorce me. He didn't give me any reason. He said that he can't live with us that we are not compatible. Hmm. And I said, I'm not divorcing you. You're separated, fine, I'm not divorcing you. And he said, I'm, but I'm divorcing you and I'm going to send you papers, you have to do this, you have to do that. And I said, okay, fine, whatever you want me, I'll do it. Because I, I was praying and I, I was saying, Lord, if it's in your will to continue like this, I will. But if you want him to kill me, I don't think you want that to happen. Please help me, I don't know what to do. So then this happened, okay? That gave me so, so, so much peace. Mm -hmm. So much peace. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying that. That I do not wish that to anybody. But I mean, if that comes to the point where somebody has to take the other person's life, that's not okay as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, better for you to mm -hmm. run right. from the situation. Right. You know? And in the end, he was the one who, who left uh, yes. the family. Yes. And... Peaceful, peaceful separation. And then he called and he um, gave me his terms and I obeyed with whatever he said, mm -hmm. financial, whatever he wanted. He got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you say that you guys were married for how long again? 37. 
So 37 years of physical abuse and emotional emotional in every way. You said also, which I really loved, that those times were the times that you drew closer to the Lord, that you were closest to your Savior because you had nowhere else to go. And I just hope that that could be, you know, what if any woman who will listen to this, they are going through a situation like that, that they will run to the Lord, that they will cling to Him because um, if you don't, that I don't think you will be here probably sharing with us, right? And praise the Lord that He took care of you, that He protected you, and that you can be here just sharing what the Lord, Mm -hmm. you know, did. Mm -hmm. Um, But even after He left, did you feel guilty? Did you feel like, I, um, because like you said, you didn't believe in divorce. What was the process like for you to come to terms that this is reality now? Mm -hmm. Very good question. Actually, I was thinking that I was going to have that guilt, feeling of guiltiness, because it happened before. I would feel guilty somehow. I don't know where that would come to me. But this time I was so peaceful. I believe because it was done not from my side, and I tried everything probably with Lord's, uh, you know, um, guidance and wisdom. I tried everything and we came to a point where he was already trying to, you know, take my life. And um, in my life, that was the most dreadful thing. When I was 14 years old in our church, a member's um, son-in-law took his um, daughter's life. And that traumatized me, traumatized to the end. I was like, how could this happen? A husband taking the wife's life? That's Mm -hmm. the the end of the world. I was so scared of that. And in my life, when I was living with him, I would constantly thinking of him killing me. I don't Mm -hmm. know why. Probably it wasn't a good thing to think, think, but because of the circumstances, the evil evil would come and, you know, murmur Mm -hmm. in my ear. But you know what I learned, Arlie? I learned to overcome that with uh, Bible verses. And I learned all these Bible verses about fear. Mm-hmm. And because fear was, I was f- fearful, full of fear in my heart at one point in time. I was fearful not to say the, the, the wrong thing. I was fearful not to, you know, uh, act badly or something. Uh, nobody knows this because I didn't share with anybody, but I was full of fear. And I uh, wrote, or, um, I um, went through the Bible, and the Bible was my, of, of course, my, my friend, my mm-hmm. companion. Okay, I started reading more. I started praying more. I started uh, writing hymns, you know. I started writing poems. I started <laughs> serving more the Lord. Uh, my joy was... At one point, that fear got replaced with joy, okay? Mm-hmm. So the Lord reassured me that He's with me, and I was in His, you know, arms, mm-hmm. and that nobody could do anything to me if it was not in His will. And I, mm-hmm. and I knew that His will was good, pleasant, and perfect for me, Amen. right? Yeah. According to Romans 8.28. <laughs> and I actually, since you've been... Uh, 
sharing so much, you know, that you always went to the Bible, to scripture. Um, I would love for you to share maybe one or two of scripture if, if you, like sure. the scriptures that you will go to normally, mm-hmm. if you can read it for us. And, oh, okay, yeah. sure. Because I feel like, you know, I, I, a lot of people think that our words will make them feel better, but honestly, <laughs> no, that's never <laughs> the case. Like the only thing that can give us strength and courage and mm-hmm. And help us through those difficult times when we feel like the world is crumbling and the world is coming to an end for us is always going to scripture. God's word has the power to encourage us. Absolutely. And yeah, so if you could I started reading Psalms more. I started reading Isaiah more. And what I did, I personalized those verses. Even though probably theologically uh, that, um, I don't know, that concerns to Israel or whatever, but I was so desperate. I wanted these verses to be about me only. So I put my name, my son's name in there, my (laughs) husband's name, my whole family's name in there, you know, wherever it was. And I would constantly pray like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's how I overcame my most of my fears. And, you know, early God graciously, graciously answered all my prayers. Mm-hmm. Most of my prayers. And I still am praying for my husband, my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. I am. And for his family. Mm-hmm. Because the repentance of one soul is creates such joy in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. our responsibility to pray for their, their you know, repentance. Mm-hmm. So during those um, years, I... These are the verses that gave me comfort, courage, and gave me the sense of, you know, being protected by God. I would read Psalm 46, verse 1, a lot. The Lord is our refuge, right? And strength, a very present help in trouble. My fear, I just want to clarify, was not about physical or um physical um, things only, like for my life. No, because I knew that if, I, if he kills me, I'm going to heaven right mm-hmm. away. That wasn't the only fear. Probably, I'm not saying that I was so courageous. I was saying, come and kill me. No. But my main fear was for my children's um, eternity mm-hmm. and his, his soul too. Because as, like I said, I didn't expand on things that about my son. Mm-hmm. But there were times that I would be like very fearful for his soul, you know, and everything. Mm-hmm. So then I started reading and personalizing this Bible verses. And it helped greatly because the Bible is what? Is a sword, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Double edged sword. <laughs> yes. So I like uh, I was reading some uh, I was reading some forty six. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And whenever I was in trouble, I would just you know tell myself, God is my refuge. Mm-hmm. Verse eleven: The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Jacob, I would replace with Anna. Okay. <laughs> then I would read Psalm one twelve um, seven. It says. The righteous man will not fear evil tidings, bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And bad news I would hear constantly. Mm-hmm. So this was like constantly in my mind. I would keep his word in my heart not to, you know, be fearful. Because fear, what is fear? It's sin, you know, it's not right. Mm-hmm. To be fearful, that means not to have a perfect love for the Lord, not to believe in him. 
not to trust him, right? Mm-hmm. We are, I mean, I was in that point, but when I obeyed his word and I kept it in my heart and in my mind, then the, the victory came. Mm-hmm. Okay? As like Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. And then I started reading John 17, John chapter 17 a lot. That was such a blessing to me. So Psalm 34, Psalm 46, Isaiah, um, Isaiah 26, 3. Uh, the steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace because it trusts in you. Mm-hmm. So all these verses, you know, there are so many. I don't want to just take yeah, you. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> great. All of them. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. And um, talking about, I mean, you know, things that, mm-hmm. like, Bible verses that you will go to and... You will say also that the times that you were able to go to church, it was a joyful time for you and your family. So I would like you to think of three things, three things that brings you joy. Sure. Reading the Bible, it's my joy. And my my number one thing in the morning, every day, that's my number one priority. That's coming to my wonderful Abba Father and say, good morning, Daddy. What do you have for me today? (laughs) That's number one along with the prayer, of course, to get ready to put on the armor of God to, you know, <laughs> overcome the evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's number one joy of my life. I don't do it because I have to do it, okay? Because that's ritual, that's tradition, or that's something for me that, uh, to be protected. No, I love doing that. Second thing that I enjoy most is singing to my mm-hmm. Lord, mm-hmm. singing the spiritual Mm-hmm. Songs, and that's why I was always, you know, in music, singing, conducting, um, composing, even you know, hymns. Yes, um, and the third thing that I enjoy most is witnessing and talking about my Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love to read that. Amen. And well, since you and love Jesus, there's nothing more joyful for me. Yeah. That's number one. Okay. Of yeah. course, family is second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's the three most important thing for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And since you love about talking about the Lord Jesus, so for anyone who is not a believer who might be listening or will be listening to this or watching it, and if they're not a believer, um, why is it that we need the Lord Jesus then? Because Jesus is the way of uh, salvation. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Because nowadays people say, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing, Arlie. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing. All have sinned and came short of the glory of God. God's Mm -hmm. standards are so high that nobody can reach those by their good deeds, which are not good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no good person in the world. We all are sinners, and that's why we need a Savior. And Jesus came and died for my and your sin. And please, I beg you, if you're not saved, consider this very seriously and repent. Jesus Mm -hmm. is everything. He's my all in all. Mm -hmm. And since you were saying, I I, I just needed to find a scripture where, where you're saying that there is no one good. And that's the culture that we live in, that everyone, yeah, you know, I am not as bad as that person next door. So we're always comparing ourselves to others, and that makes us feel like I'm not that bad. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to break it to Mm -hmm. you, but 
we are all, we're not good. Mm-hmm. And this is what the Bible says in regards to that. So this is in Romans 3, chapter 3, verses, I'm going to read verses from verses 9 and on. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all, all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So if you think you're good, if any of us has the, the audacity to, see that we're, to say that we're good, I'm sorry, go back to Romans and read that. And I think that's something that we need to remind ourselves, you know, that we're not good. None. None of us. And praise the Lord that it's because of Christ, that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. So now, because we are in Christ, the only thing that the Lord sees in our heart is Jesus Christ, the perfect life of Jesus Christ that was imputed to us. But if you're not a believer, that's not what God sees. He sees a sinful person who only deserves hell. That's what the Bible says, that we deserve hell when we are not in Christ. So this is why... We tell you, yes, come to Christ. Turn away from your sins and give up your life. Don't think because you're a religious person and you're following all the traditions that's going to get you to heaven. That is not. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the only thing that that will get you to heaven. And I hope that you will think about this and you will meditate on this and really ask yourself, if I die today, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? And... I hope that the answer is heaven, because if not, then then you need to repent and come to Christ. Will you please close that in prayers? Sure. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you so much for letting us know of your truth, bringing your truth to us, bringing your Son as a Savior to the world for to die for our sins on the cross to shed His blood, to be our salvation, to be our Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for your mercy, grace, love, kindness. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Thank you for the promise of the eternal life. Thank you for giving us opportunity to share your gospel, to be your uh, uh, slaves, and to uh, Testimony, be it a testimony for your truth and for your gospel. Thank you for Arlie and Richard. Thank you for their ministry. I pray that you um, that you give them wisdom and to continue and bless them in their ministry. May many many um, souls get saved through this ministry by listening, by paying attention, by reading your word by repenting and by accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Hey guys, thank you so much for listening or watching our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would like to invite you to support us by leaving us a review. Let us know how you have been encouraged by each one of the stories that you have listened here. Also leaving us your feedback. You can also help by following us on social media on Instagram and Facebook or by liking or commenting on our post and also by sharing with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to subscribe on our podcast and YouTube channel. Another way that you can also help us is financially by visiting our Patreon page by going on the link here on the description. <laughs>